Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello guys and welcome back to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. I hope that you guys are doing well and I hope that you're staying safe as always on this lovely bank holiday weekend wherever you are listening around the world. So another race in the books and another impressive display from the world champion Max Verstappen winning the Miami Grand Prix and making a very very firm statement on this 2023 World Championship at the expense of his teammate Sergio Perez. But joining me on this episode to discuss all of those things and answering some of your questions as well on the race weekend, we have Courtney Pine joining us once again on the DNF1 panel. Courtney, first of all, mate, how are you doing and uh, how was it for you this weekend? Did the Miami Grand Prix live up to the extravagant expectations that were put on it? Um, Hello, everyone. First of all, yeah, I'm doing well. No complaints at my end. Um... Overall, uh, it was it, it could have been better, but it could have been worse, I guess. Um, I suppose we'll go into more the details as to why I feel that way a little bit later on. Um, just for me, I just, I just feel that that race in general was just a continuation of the story of um, F1 2023. And to be honest, I'm hoping for some changes soon because it's becoming very, very predictable. Yeah, um, I mean, there are certain elements that we'll talk about in a moment regarding that. First thing, of course, let's do the usual thing. And as always, guys, because because you listen to this show on either YouTube or on your favorite podcasting platform, we do ask that if you are new to us on the YouTube channel, make sure to subscribe to the channel, like the video. It really does help us out a lot. And of course, share it with those of you that might be interested in listening to a new F1 podcast. If you're on the lookout for one, we'd always be happy to take in new members to the DNF1 family. It's an unlimited group. So the more of you, the merrier it will be. And of course, don't forget to leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcasting platforms. If you do, we'll give you a shout out on an next episode. And we did get a five-star review recently on Spotify from Charlie Graham. Uh, and Charlie messaged us on social media to let us know that they've given us a five-star review on Spotify to say, love the show, guys. Love your analysis. Keep up the great work. Really do enjoy your independent F1 podcast. Five stars. So thank you so much, Charlie, for your kind shout-out to us and for your support. And uh, yeah, if you want a shout-out on a future episode, guys, you know what to do. Leave us a five-star review on your favorite pod platform. Of course, if it's not on Apple Podcasts, we must insist that you guys send us a message like Charlie did, so that way we know you've left us a five-star review, and we'll give you a shout-out on a future episode. But first things first, with this new format that we're experimenting, and we want you guys to be at the center of these episodes, we want to encourage you to ask more questions based on what you saw at the race this weekend, and we can answer those on the show as part of our race review. And of course, you can do that by getting in touch with us on our socials. Just send us a message, any questions you have. Uh, The show notes will show where 
our socials are and of course if you're listening to this on youtube you'll see those as well in the description so do get in touch we also have a new email out which i'll put out in the show notes and the description whichever platform you're listening to the show on if you want to send us your questions in for future episodes um courtney first things first though i want to talk about our highlights of the races part this Mm -hmm. new format so first things first what was your highlight for this weekend in the miami grand prix adam you're gonna love me for raising this but the highlight for me was uh, Shoulder Claire's crashing Q3. Oh boy, uh, I was worried about that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one with Charles Leclerc. We did get a lot of questions in regarding Charles Leclerc at the moment, but um, let's talk a little bit about that particular incident. Uh, sometimes it seems to be a bit one step forward, two steps back right now with Charles Leclerc. You're either going to get an incredibly amazing lap like we saw in Baku twice, actually, or he's going to end up bidding it in the wall like he did in Miami twice over the course of the weekend in very similar fashion. Yeah, well, this I, I put a post out on our Instagram page um, saying that when I saw the um, incident take place, I wasn't even surprised. Look, we we know how talented Charles Leclerc is. We know how much potential he has. Based on pure ability... In general, he has the potential to be a multiple world champion. I think he's one of the drivers on the current grid that has the best chance of beating Max Verstappen over the course of a season. But he's not going to be able to do that if he keeps on making these silly errors. And and once again, you know, he, he was having a solid um, weekend. Ferrari have made some improvements over the break. And he just makes what yet another silly mistake. And if Ferrari miraculously make some big improvements over next year or so and start challenging Red Bull. We want to be seeing a season-long challenge. And, of course, Red Bull took the big step forwards last season to gain initiative over Ferrari. But some of the stakes that were made at Ferrari and from Charles himself made that championship a lot easier for Max Verstappen and Red Bull than it could have been. Yeah, we did get a question from uh, Magic14 Alonso11 on social media about this. And they asked us, What are your thoughts regarding Charles Leclerc right now? There's no doubting his ability to deliver the fast laps when he needs to. However, sometimes he pushes a bit too hard quite often and it's almost becoming too regular that he crashes out in qualifying or even in the race when he's pushing beyond the limit. Does Leclerc need to calm things down a bit in order to become more consistent? Now, I think that's a very fair point. Last season, we saw Charles Leclerc when Ferrari had that championship race-winning car in their hands for the first half of the season. He was putting together a lot of performances that were worthy of that. And, you know, at one point, it looked like it was his championships to lose. Then we fast forward to Imola, the first race where he really felt some level of adversity and he was going after Perez and he was overly committed into the chicane and he completely binned it and lost the podium as a result. And then we saw what happened in... um, uh, what was it? It was in France when he was leading right, that race. Yeah. He completely lost it there um, by his own error. And we've seen quite a few times this season, Leclerc already making mistakes when he's pushing that car beyond its limits. Now, we love to see Leclerc driving on the absolute limit. I think we saw the first 15, 20 seconds of that lap in qualifying. Crofty and Martin Brundle were talking about how epic it looked. It was on the ragged edge. You could see Leclerc was really going for it because there was a genuine chance he may have got it on pole position or even the front row given what was going on with Max uh, on his first run there was a chance there 
and Leclerc was pushing on the limit. And sometimes when that happens with Leclerc, he does go a little bit over the top and the car reaches its limit. And when you're at that point, you're just a passenger. So I think that is something that needs to be addressed with Charles Leclerc. There's no doubt in his speed, but he is to some degree a little bit unreliable in those moments. And unfortunately for Ferrari, even though they're going through their own turmoil at the moment and are struggling to provide a car capable of a driver and worthy of a driver of Leclerc's talents, he's not doing himself any favours in the eyes of other teams, like perhaps Mercedes or even Red Bull or Aston Martin that might look at him in the future, uh, and there's no reason why they wouldn't be, thinking, well, you know, there's no doubt he's, he's the fastest guy out there, but he's not the most consistent or the most reliable. And when it comes to winning races and championships... You need that consistency. You don't win a race over one lap. And unfortunately, right now, Charles Leclerc, uh, Charles Leclerc, I should say, over one lap, he's phenomenal. But beyond that, there is a question mark still. Yeah, he, he's he's definitely not the finished product. But the potential is there. And, and I, I guess that's what adds to the frustration for, you know, Ferrari and even neutral fans about Charles Leclerc. Because we are looking at him like if you're looking at the next 10, 15 years of Formula One, Unless you're a Red Bull fan, you don't want to be seeing Max Verstappen dominate. And you're looking at the, the current generation of drivers and you're thinking, so who could truly challenge Max with the right machinery over the course of the season? We know Lewis can, but we don't know how long Lewis is going to be around for. George Russell has the potential. Lando Norris to an extent, but Lando Norris will need to make a big move very soon. But out of all the drivers, we've seen the most potential of that happening with Charles Leclerc. And Charles, and Charles does need to get these errors out of his game because we know how phenomenally good a driver Max Verstappen is. You have to be on the ball as consistently as possible to get one over on a guy. We even see, you know, obviously with Sergio Perez, the only guy that can really beat him this season, Perez has to have a fantastic day and Max needs to have a rare off day in order to beat him. So Charles really needs to refine what he's already you know, good with his racecraft. But we've already said it's one of the reasons why Ferrari brought in Fred Fasser to tutor almost shoulder club because he got the best out of him during his time at um, Alfa Romeo. Yeah, I mean, the hope will be for Ferrari fans and in particular Charles Leclerc fans that these issues can be identified. And, and Charles Leclerc is his own worst critic. He often criticises himself a lot when he makes mistakes. And some people will say, well, he's been a bit hard on himself. And, and I get that, but he's not learning from them. And that becomes a bigger issue. He's making the same errors again and again and again, mostly caused by pushing the car too hard. Sometimes you just got to give up the ghost and say, look, you can make the difference to a degree, but sometimes that bridge is too far to gap. And right now, that is the stark reality that Ferrari currently face in 2023 with Charles Leclerc against the Red Bulls. Try as they might and try as he might, Baku was a brilliant example of when Leclerc is on it and at his absolute best, he can do something over one lap. But again, a race, no less a championship, is not won over one lap, unfortunately, unless you're talking Max Verstappen 2021. But, you know, it was there, had to say it. Um, but look, let's move on to um, a, another... Uh, actually, no, I should move on to my highlight, actually. I almost forgot that. Yeah, let's not forget um, yours, Adam. Yeah, let's not forget it. We're just trying something new here, so we don't want to butcher it before we've uh, begun. My highlight this weekend has to be Sir Jackie Stewart. Um, anyone was watching the pre-race grid introductions and Martin's grid walk, which of course in America 
is extra, extra special. Um, I think one of my funniest moments was Martin looking at the Williams sisters, Venus and Serena, thinking, oh, should he try and get an interview? And he remembered <laughs> the amount of times in the past he's tried to get an interview with the Williams sisters um, and he's been rejected quite often in the past for one reason or another. And Martin's like, you know what? I've been rejected enough times to know that it's not probably a good idea to bother them again. So fair enough. Um, but the moment that I loved was when so Jackie Stewart was at the edge before there was that tape and then you had a few of the drivers you had Roger Federer talking to a few people and Martin had bumped into Sir Jackie and Jackie just went through the tape past the security guards whilst they were trying to stop him and you had Martin say no you can't stop Sir Jackie Stewart you can't beat up Sir Jackie Stewart and he's just gone straight over to Roger Federer like a man possessed whilst Martin's doing the countdown before the broadcast has to move on to the next phase and somehow successfully managed to convince Roger Federer to come over and fair play to Roger Federer because it would have been a weekend he would have been pulled from one post to another all weekend being the great sportsman that he was and he did the interview and it was great and I absolutely love that from Sir Jackie Stewart and Martin's right it's um it's an interesting point where we we often talk about on on this show and I'm sure other F1 shows do as well Courtney that F1 fans that have been following this sport for a long time will look at Sir Jackie Stewart and consider him to be an A-list celebrity on the grid. So when yeah. actual other celebrities in that vicinity and other worlds come to F1, they're still given that same level of respect. But you're in Sir Jackie's yard. He's the one. Exactly. That, and, and some fans probably would have watched that and thought, how dare they do this to Sir Jackie? Or some people may have been new to the sport and thought, who's this old guy in a tartan outfit trying to mm -hmm. go through the security and, and do it all this just to get Roger Federer? It depends on how you see it. But um, no, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was absolutely brilliant from Sir Jackie Stewart, quite frankly, and good on him too. Yeah, no, like, good on him. And, and, and to be honest, if you're going to go onto the F1 grid and you've got some kind of status, you do need to expect to be interviewed. Like maybe some of them are a little bit scared to be interviewed because they don't know much about F1 and they don't want to become memes, which, you know, but that, that, that for me, that becomes part and parcel of going on to the F1 group. If you think about the amount of, you know, everyday Joes who would love nothing more than to be on that grid on the build up to the race, you know, feel the build up, feel the nerves, you know, to, to get a real feel of the race weekend. And, you know, you've got people going that aren't really into F1. But they you know they're going there as like a as a status thing, and I don't know. I I just feel like we're missing a trick here. I I just feel that if you are that keen to go onto the F one grid, do a bit of homework before you go there, and prepare to be interviewed because that's all a part of the race weekend. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, for future reference, for someone like Sir Jackie Stewart, in theory, this should almost be no boundaries to where he's allowed you know in, in considering what he represents not just the formula one but to the fia as well as a representative of, of them and he's at a lot of races for the same reason um regardless of where it is you know i know america have their own flavor on these things and they had that introduction with um ll cool j and will i am which i actually thought was okay i i, I do think it dragged on a little bit where they were introducing the drivers but it's something we see in america and a lot of other sports so I didn't really have a problem with it. I know some people are probably complaining about it, but look, if it's not for you, that's fine. You don't have to watch it. You can always make yourself a cup of tea and come back for when the race starts, really. But I, I get it. America want to put their stamp on things, and, that, and that's absolutely fine. We did get another question regarding something that you brought up, Corny, which I'm glad you did, mm -hmm. was about the influencers and people in the VIP section that didn't have a prior F1 interest or knowledge, and 
people were asking, basically, uh, the general question was, what were your thoughts on some of the influencers that were being invited to the VIP section across this weekend? It felt like it was just anybody and anyone that had a following based mostly in America, and a lot of them didn't understand much about F1. What are your thoughts? It's a, it's a fair question. My personal take on it is that if we look at F1 as a business, if, um, and I'm going to name drop a few people here, if F1 decides to invite people like, let's say, Matt Gallagher, for example, um, from, you know, from, from WT, well, formerly WTF1, uh, Jimmy Broadbent, um, Aldas, Tomo, those people that, you know, and there are countless others that I haven't mentioned. I apologize if I haven't. Um, that you could have invited an F1 fans to go, oh, I know that guy from YouTube or this guy or that guy. Of course, you know, that would be nice. But for an event like this in Miami, not to say these guys aren't big stars, because they are in the F1 community. They're massive and they're brilliant at what they do. But the appeal for new audiences to come into Formula One don't start with established people already. So what I mean by that is those creators and influencers and etc that i've already mentioned the 95 percent of their demographic of supporters are f1 slash motorsport fans those aren't the people f1 are trying to bring into the sport you get fans of cabby lane or jake paul or you know a few other people like that and other influencers that i wouldn't have recognized that would have been at that circuit i'm pretty certain 90 percent of their follower fan base are not formula one or motorsport mm. fans and what happens and everyone will know this and they would want those people to show snaps of them in the vip area get photos with drivers or do tiktoks or whatever with these people and what ends up happening their followers see it they like it they think oh f1 looks pretty cool that looks amazing i want to tune into that they watch the sport they buy the merch they go to races that's how you build your audience and that's what f1 are doing so for the benefit of the sport, I don't have a problem with this at all. Yes, I would like to see more influencers that I would recognise within the F1 community, not just someone that a 31-year-old man would recognise, which isn't many, to be fair. Um, I don't see a problem with it at all. I, I think it's putting their own stamp on things. They're trying to bring in new audiences. It's exactly the same thing that happened with Drive to Survive. It's just another medium of doing that. I don't have a problem with it at all, quite frankly. And... Look, if people are really that bothered by which influencer turns up to this circuit or which one turns up to that circuit, that's the wrong part of the sport to be focusing on. I'd be more interested about what's actually happening during the race rather than who's turning up to this event. As long as it doesn't obstruct the actual event itself, which it hasn't, then that's fine. Yeah, uh, uh, that's why though, I think a bit of a balance would be nice. So I, I, I know I, I do feel there is a conscious effort within the broadcasting to do that. So... You know, I've seen during like um, Martin's grid walks in the past, he'll, he'll interview, you know, a celebrity that he's just been told to interview. He doesn't even know them. And then he'll go on to interview a former driver. And you can tell that Martin's actually enjoying the interview with the with the ex-driver so much more because they can give that, you know, that perspective on the weekend. And I do feel there should be some, you know, even if it's just like one or two, just interview a couple of the influencers and just add it into the mix because you're getting a different perspective. You're get, you're getting the A-list celebrities for you know the the casual fans. Well, then you're right. But then if you have a couple of the influences that you know the the proper fans know, and they'll be interested on their like their raw take of the race before the race actually takes place. That rhymes. Didn't mean to. 
I feel that I feel that this that's that that's a nice blend because I, again you can look at YouTubers and you know people have mixed feelings on the whole YouTube boxing scene. But the way I look at the YouTube boxing, for example, is that yes, the quality of the boxing isn't anywhere near as good as the professional boxing, and there there are some of the YouTubers YouTubers that are delusional about their potential. But that conversation is not for this podcast. But it's definitely generated more interest in boxing. And I think in general, it's done boxing a lot of good as a sport. So you're right, Adam, completely agree about getting the A-listers involved and it is good for the sport. But I think you adding that, you know, so let's, let's say the, the show, the social, the social influencer spice, let's add that to the dish. And I feel that would help the, the weekend broadcasting even more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, we saw Martin's grid walk and he was talking to Michael Andretti. And of course, for those of you that haven't been following their progress, they are trying to get a team into Formula One. And, you know, throughout that process, that's going to require the existing teams to give up a certain portion of the revenue that they already earn when a newer team comes in. Of course, you know, minus all the initial fees that have to be paid up and all the other stipulations that go with all the boring stuff, basically, that fans don't want uh, don't want to care for they just want to see an extra team on the grid more competition yeah when you get all of that and the extra revenue and the extra audience growth that influencers will bring into the sport and all the other stuff that comes with that it's more money coming into the sport the sport becomes richer that fit was down to the teams in terms of their revenue and that allows more competition and better competition it doesn't mean you end up with an example well you end up with a better um, all-round sport because everyone's more competitive because they have more money. You don't end up with the biggest spenders, even in a cost cap era, outspending everybody else. It does take time, but it is going to make the sport richer. And I've got no problem with America wanting to yeah. put their own flavour on F1. If it makes it more interesting for them, it's going to make the sport better. You know, So we have to watch a few races of the year where they put on a big show for us. I mean, if you think that was crazy, just wait and see what happens when they go to Vegas. I'm actually looking forward to that because I'm curious to see what they're going to deliver. It's Vegas. It's going to be spectacular. So, um, no, I didn't have a problem with it at all. But if anyone did, well, then just put the kettle on, come back just in time for the race to start and off you go. They don't interrupt with the race. You didn't see them cutting to when... Verstappen was passing Perez. You didn't see a shot cutting over to an interview with DJ Khaled or Will Smith or something silly like that. If it does, then it becomes an issue. Um, you know, so yeah, let's not throw the baby out with a bathwater. I thought I didn't really have a problem with it at all, quite frankly. Um, let's go to the next part. And uh, Courtney, this kind of ties in with a segment that I wanted to introduce. And you brilliantly i've called it courtney's road rage and basically this is going to be a segment where you have a little bit of a rant because i know you love having a rant on this show so uh (laughs) the floor is yours courtney who is entering courtney's road rage for the first time on the dnf1 podcast okay so ladies and gentlemen welcome to courtney's road rage um you're not going to be surprised to hear what my uh, my rant is about. And it's something to do with Red Bull. Who would have thought it would have been about Red Bull? I've never had anything bad to say about Red Bull. I am shocked. <laughs> <laughs> now, quick disclaimer. I don't want to take anything away from Red Bull's achievements. They've done a phenomenal job with the car. Uh, the utmost respect for Max Verstappen as a driver. And I understand they need to do whatever it takes to optimise their car and obviously win multiple championships. But I am a bit irked by this DRS rear wing slash suspension, which makes overtaking way too easy for the Red Bulls 
compared to their competitors. Now, the natural response will be from Red Bull fans. I bet you're a Mercedes fan. You didn't mind when Mercedes were dominating. This isn't one. This isn't just about a team dominating. That's one thing. But we saw this weekend, Max Verstappen was in the mud after qualifying, starting in P9. We know he has the ability to get up to the front. But the problem is with this um, with this DRS hack that they found, the overtaking is way too easy. It was almost like a prediction. How many laps is it going to take? 5, 10, 15. And, and I feel that, you know, when I mentioned Charles Leclerc's crash, it was a slam dunk weekend for Max Verstappen beforehand. When Leclerc had the crash, it was like, oh, hello. We might actually have an interesting race on our hands because we know there's only one team that, that could possibly win at the moment. And then we just saw the way that Max carved through the field and aided by this um, by this DRS trick that they found. And for me, it's, it's taken away a part of the spectacle when Red Bull haven't had an ideal weekend. And again, going back to the, you know, the people's out the Mercedes era, da, 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 da. Yeah, Mercedes had a slight power advantage, but the Mercedes actually struggled with the dirty air. The Mercedes was designed to effectively be at the front. It, the Mercedes drivers generally struggle to overtake people because of the way their car was um, was designed. So when Lewis or, or Nico had a rough weekend, we actually had some better races. And, and that's why, because we are seeing these... Um, we are seeing these comparisons between the Mercedes dominance and the Red Bull. I feel this level of dominance goes way beyond anything we're seeing with Mercedes. Well, I mean, it certainly has the potential to uh, this season if Red Bull go on to win every single race. And, and right now, you'd have to say that unless something crazy happens, it's not impossible to imagine that happening. I'm not sure how some fans probably see this current era of racing right now. I, I think... When um when you've got a new influx of fans, whether that's come from Drive to Survive or influencers that we already talked about, or you know they're just new to the sport because they've come across it in the same way that you or I would have done when we came across the sport for the first time many many years ago, and I think 2021 was a very interesting year for this because a lot of fans that have come into the sport recently would have come in during that season. And unfortunately, because of how amazing it was, regardless of how people saw the ending, it was action every single race. Yeah. The championship battle was going back and forth so often. Yes, there was a lot of tension. There was huge dramatic moments. But it was one of the best F1 seasons that we've ever had, purely for that reason. And F1 isn't normally like that, unfortunately. We don't have crazy title fights going to the very last lap of the entire season. We don't have two or three way fights very, very often. As I said, if you took Red Bull out of the equation, this championship would be amazing right now between Aston Martin, Ferrari and Mercedes. And it's the same argument we could have made for Mercedes back when they were dominating or Ferrari before them or Red Bull before that time as well. So it's a tough one. When it comes to the DRS trick that they have, the reality is, Courtney, I don't know how much of that we actually understand. I'm not talking about you and I, I'm talking about generally. Now, yeah. the FIA seem happy with it from what we understand. There hasn't been a lot of pressure from teams to try and review this or appeal against it to get it banned in the same way that they did with DAS a couple of years ago or this spirit of the regulations kind of nonsense that they keep going back to when someone comes up with something innovative that goes against the regulations or what they intended from them. 
make of that what you will. And teams that bring new components have to be transparent about what they are, how they work to the most minute detail. There's no getting around it anymore. And I think because of that, that is why this DRS trick that Red Bull seem to have right now is proven to be that wow factor or that X factor mm. that they have when overtaking cars to the point where they just don't bother fighting them because they're so fast. So, you know, people asking, oh, are they going to try and outlaw it? I don't think they can. I think no. if they would have done, they'd have done it by now. So, and, and we're seeing teams reportedly trying to come up with their own versions of this design. So hopefully at some point they will be able to catch up in that regard. Um, we did get a question on this right now, uh, on this situation with Red Bull and, you know, the last two races we had. And someone asked, um, it was a two-part question, and they basically asked us, "Why? Uh, what are your thoughts on the current um, landscape of F1? Is it becoming really boring with Red Bull dominating? And also, if the regulations were intended to create more overtaking, why do the FIA insist on shortening DRS zones at Baku and in Miami? Surely this makes the races more boring. And and for that first part, Courtney, I kind of understand it. I just think it just comes down to the fact that right now we have a team that's absolutely smashed the regulations mm. and everybody else is playing catch-up. I mean, Ferrari and Mercedes dropped the ball. Aston Martin have proven that if you go down the right route you will make gains and if Ferrari Mercedes have done that maybe they'd be challenging Red Bull this season quite frankly yeah but so this is what I wanted to to clear up that despite the frustrations with the current situation because let's let's be honest unless you're you know a proper fan of F1 like we are that will enjoy the Ferrari um Mercedes Aston Martin battle and actually the, the the rest of the grid is actually quite close to each other. We'll appreciate that, but the the main the main point of the race is who's going to challenge for the race win. You're going it every single weekend, being pretty sure that it's going to be Max Verstappen. Then I feel that the the interest from casual fans will dwindle. But at the same time, this is a sport. You can't just slow people down because they're doing well. And I think that sometimes I've been aggrieved. I, I was aggrieved of how Mercedes was slowed down. So that's why I am a little bit aggrieved by it because it was done to Mercedes. Is it going to be done to Red Bull? Because if it carries on like this, there will be a lot of... F1 will lose a lot of casual fans. But it's, it is that conflict of interest. And there is a lot of conflict of interest in Formula 1 because you want the great spectacle. But at the same time, you don't want to be taken away the, the the great innovations that these guys come up with because it must be so frustrating for them they can't believe these ideas are giving them an advantage just for it to be taken away from them yeah on their second point as well the drs being shortened i don't think it really was an issue in miami i think no. they actually got it spot on in baku they probably could have left it alone i do agree that with these new cars, you don't want to hurt the overtaking numbers. And it has been harder to overtake this year from what we saw last year as these regulations have been evolved and the teams have developed their cars to a degree. So, yeah, I think it's a legitimate concern that shortening the DRS zones will make it even harder to overtake. I just think it's from one circuit to another. Baku, I think people often mistake Baku for being a, a race that guarantees exciting racing. I think we had a few crazy races in the last couple of years, but in general, it has been very similar to what we saw last weekend. So I think it's just, you know, circuit specific. In Miami, I thought they got it spot on. 
There was plenty of action, plenty of overtakes. It certainly wasn't a boring race. I think people were just too fixated on the battle at the front that made it seem a little bit boring and um, how it all ended up going down. We did get another question on Max Verstappen and Perez, Courtney, uh, and we should really talk about that being the highlight of the weekend in terms of where the race was won and lost. And someone, um, and we had, um, it was, sorry, I remember the name now. It was um, Michael Stevens, Red Bull 1, wrote into us and asked us, he said, hi guys, what were your thoughts on the Red Bull strategy in Miami? Was Perez on the wrong strategy? And second, if he was, why did they not put him on the hard tyres instead of leaving him on the mediums and giving Max Verstappen the advantage? So I think we have to clarify this, Courtney, because I, Christian Horner was asked this during the race and he basically said the Elkterman strategy was to go medium and hards. And it made no sense to put Checo on the hard tyres purely because the the guys behind him on mediums like Alonso, yeah. Sainz, Russell, they'd have tried to get him into turn one and wrecked his race. And Perez needed to try and get away. And ultimately, that's what he was doing in the early stages. Unfortunately, this is where it gets a bit you know bad for Perez. He was very unlucky in this regard because because the track was washed out the night before. All the grip that had been laid down had gone. All the rubble was gone. It was a completely green track. And a lot of the drivers were reporting graining issues on the medium tyre. What they didn't anticipate was that the harder tyres were going to be very quick compared to the mediums. They were only about a tenth or two slower in optimum pace anyway. The durability was immense and there was no graining issues. So the hard tyre was the optimum tyre. But no one would have foreseen that. If they had done, I'm pretty sure a lot of people would have started on the hard tyres. Now... The reason why Max started on the hard tyres is because he was down in P9. Exactly. That makes sense. When you've got a car advantage like Max Verstappen has, you would put him on the hard tyres when he's further down the order because that allows him the opportunity to overtake some drivers when the medium tyres were starting to wear off. And admittedly, they did that a lot earlier than people have anticipated because of the reasons we mentioned already. And he had the pace difference where if he got stuck in traffic he would have been able to overcut a lot of guys when they came in to make their pit stops. That was the baked-in advantage that they were relying on. Fortunately for Max, his advantage was realised very early on when those harder tyres were amazing. It's the same reason why Sir Lewis Hamilton ended up going from 13th to 6th, despite having a car nowhere near as good as what Max did, because he was on the right strategy by fortune. And, And to be fair to both of them, they both made it work really, really well. I think I had... um a picture of a tweet that I took. I took a screenshot from uh, Spanners Ready, uh, Mr. Apex F1 host. And the drivers that started on the hard tyres at the start of the race were Lance Stroll, Yuki Tsunoda, Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen, Hulkenberg, uh, Joe Ocon. The bottom three all lost a few places because of the way the races panned out. But Stroll, Tsunoda, Hamilton and Verstappen at least made up six places throughout that race, all starting further down on the hard tyres. So it just shows how well those tyres worked and unfortunately for Sergio Perez he was just unfortunately on the wrong strategy he was in a catch-22 there was absolutely nothing that he could have done if he'd have started on the hard tyres and managed to stay ahead of Alonso, Sainz and Russell at the start he probably would have won today uh, or won the race this weekend but unfortunately he didn't and Max was inevitable if you like very Michael Schumacher-esque this weekend he just had the speed all weekend and it was a case of when rather than if he would get to the front yeah, look, this weekend, cause, uh, we, we saw, you know, people always looking for, like, Wade's got, oh, that was a bit dodgy, that was a bit dodgy. I, I On this occasion, 
it could have been easy for me to jump on the Red Bull bandwagon. For me, that what happened there was completely legit. No one knew how the um how the strategy would turn out. We no one knew which strategy would be the optimum until later on in the race. So, and you're right, Adam. It would have it could have been a sit. Uh, Perez could have been a sitting duck to those behind him if he started on the hard tires. So there is an element to it, but also let's not forget that Max was on a mission um, in Miami. He wasn't happy with how things turned out in Baku. He was unhappy with himself and he took himself to that next level that we all know he's capable of. He was on average two to three attempts a lap faster than Sergio Perez during the practice sessions, during the qualifying sessions, up to the um, crash with Leclerc. So Max already had the pace advantage over Perez anyway. So I don't I don't feel that anyone can feel grieved that Max won that race because on pure merit he deserved that win. No, and, and he was brilliant on those hard tires as well, mm-hmm. especially later on in that stint before he made his pit stops. He was still faster than Perez was on fresh hard tires and Perez was trying to manage him. I know Anthony Davidson made a comment on the broadcast suggesting that Perez wasn't getting any feedback on the radio. That wasn't really accurate because he actually was, not to discredit Anthony Davidson, but there was obviously some miscommunication there um, in terms of where that information came from. But there was a thread online and you could hear the radio on certain channels that Perez was getting regular feedback and he was asking questions about Max and Red Bull were giving him what he needed. So it wasn't a case of Red Bull completely blanking him to allow Max to catch him and pass him, to surprise him. Perez knew exactly where Max was. Max was just, as we said, Thanos levels of inevitable in that race and and ultimately was phenomenal this weekend and that's why he deservedly won the race. So, no, no team orders or bias on this one at Red Bull. Um, But it is very interesting that despite Perez really putting down a marker in recent weeks, Max Verstappen responded, as all great champions do. And, And that's how this title race is going to be. And Perez will need to raise his game to once again to match Max on that one. Um, so let's move on to another question, Courtney, we got in. Um, and this one was about Fernando Alonso. And um, Diane Stevens asked, uh, Fernando Alonso is an absolute genius, giving Lance Stroll tips on and driver coaching and also commenting on an overtake whilst watching it on TV. Nonetheless, driving in P3 and dominating the the rest of the field. Is there anything he can't do at 41 years of age? To be honest, Diane, I think that's a perfect observation of Fernando Alonso's weekend, Courtney. I mean, managed the tyres brilliantly, easily the best of the rest in the Aston Martin. And um, it's his fourth podium in five races, being P4 in Baku as the uh, exception. And on top of all of that, he's giving his teammate driver coaching and asking about what position he's in when he's watching his overtakes on the TV. I mean, it's phenomenal, isn't it? Yeah, look, we, we all know how good Fernando Alonso is. Uh, we, we we look back at his career and the only reason why he isn't in the same um, sort of echelons of history when it, in comparison to Schumacher, Hamilton, even Vettel to an extent, and eventually Max Verstappen, is because some of the career choices he made. He made he, he you know he he lost the dressing room. He, his, his attitude when he was younger went against him, and his opportunity to win championships became limited because of those various situations. But he's come back rejuvenated. He come back with a hunger, and this hunger to somehow get another world championship is what is keeping him going. He's like a whole workhorse, and it is incredible that he's still racing at that level. We've seen other drivers when like when Schumacher come back. 
Kimi Raikkonen towards the end, the end of his career. They just wasn't at that same level. And I, I think it shows if you was to directly compare Raikkonen and Alonso, Raikkonen almost had that no, should we say, poo's given attitude. He just went there, just went for a nice drive on the Sunday. Whereas with Alonso, he's not there to do that. Alonso wants to win. And it's that that drive that's keeping Alonso going. And I think we have to look at his comparison to Lance Stroll. We know there's a natural um there's a natural gap in quality between these two drivers. So <laughs> without being too harsh, there is an obvious gap in quality. But at the same time, I wonder if Lance Stroll is still sort of struggling because of his obviously slow start to the season with the accident that he had in the preseason. We know that the Aston Martin was very similar to the Ferrari and the Mercedes. I think the the performance of the cars are very unpredictable this season. And I feel that Alonso, with the natural talent he has, and also having more time in the car during testing and having a real feel for the car in the first race in Bahrain, those two things have given him a real advantage over, over Lance Stroll this season. Yeah, and, and that will be a concern for Aston Martin because even though Lance Stroll has a very safe seat being the boss's son, his form, you know, injuries aside, has not been great. I mean, in qualifying, what was he, P18? Didn't get out of Q1. Yeah. Fernando puts it on the front row of the grid. You'd have to say, if it was any other driver in any other team, that would ring alarm bells massively about his future. I mean, we have to give Lance the benefit of the doubt, but ultimately, you know, because of his injuries, but ultimately, Lance Stroll is very much a moments driver in that he will deliver certain moments where he's fantastic and he's great. And, you know, I've often often said that he is a fairly solid driver at times. But even I've got to admit that there will be concerns for Aston Martin long term when they've got one driver doing a great job in Fernando. And Fernando is delivering the absolute maximum that this car has to offer. Lance Stroll right now, for one reason or another, not quite doing the same in that regard or even close to that, to be honest. Well, this is the thing. Look, you have a look at the the close battle we have between these three teams. That'd be too harsh on the guy. It could be it could be Lance that makes a difference between Aston Martin finishing second in the constructors to eventually finishing fourth. So the stakes are high. Because you, you have a look at the other two teams. You have Leclerc and Science. Yeah, Leclerc's making the mistakes, but Science seems to be more consistent this season. And I, I still feel that Mercedes have the the most talented driver lineup on the entire grid. And we know that in the big moments coming on, George and Lewis will be picking up the big points the way that Alonso is. So Mercedes have two drivers doing it, but Aston Martin are only going to have one. Yeah, absolutely. We've got another question in from Michael1272F1. Uh, he writes in and says, what did you guys make of the fact that there were hardly any yellow flags, if any at all? Was it one of the cleanest races we've ever seen? Now, I looked at this one. Michael and I went online to try and see if I can find some stats on this race because I couldn't remember seeing any yellow flags or anything like that and apparently there wasn't a single one throughout the entire race Courtney and um, we had formula data analysis on social media give them a follow on Twitter f data analysis and they wrote this race had no yellow flags no virtual safety cars no safety cars no red flags no retirement and no errors during the pits in terms of the teams, not necessarily drivers, because we know Carlos Sainz uh, had a five-second penalty for speeding in the pit lane. And even then, that wouldn't have made a difference to his finishing position, whether he'd have got it or not. Uh, 1,140 flawless laps, which is 20 cars times 57 laps. Now, I don't think that's strictly true, because 
Um, I think, what was it, Piastri and De Vries? They were lapped, I think, uh, unless I'm mistaken. I know we didn't have everyone finishing the full distance. Even still, Courtney, I can't remember a race where we've had no confirmed incidents whatsoever. The only thing that we saw, other than Carlos Sainz's penalty uh, for speeding in the pit lane, was the first lap incident where Nick De Vries drove into the back of Lando Norris in turn one. And even then, that wasn't yellow flag because it was a small nudge and both of them were able to carry on afterwards. So, yeah, that's absolutely remarkable, isn't it? Yeah, like, may- maybe there are actual reasons for this. Um, it seems the cars are becoming a lot more reliable. I remember a few years ago there were cars breaking down left, right, and centre. It seems the cars are becoming a lot more reliable, and maybe with the um, the cost cap era that we're now living in, maybe the drivers are a little bit more careful. Maybe the drivers aren't making as many lunges as maybe they would have in the past because they're conscious of, you know, the consequences within the team. Schumacher effectively lost Mick Schumacher effectively lost his seat at Haas because of how much money he was costing the team. So there could be that element to it, or it all could have just turned out to be mere coincidence. Yeah, very much could be. Um, I'd have to look online to see if we've ever had a race with no yellow flags whatsoever. Um, I distinctly remember, I think there was probably one even in 2006 where we had that crazy six-car race in Indianapolis, I'm pretty sure, uh, or 2005 actually, where there must have been a yellow flag or something. I don't think all six cars finished the race, so I think that might have been why, I'm not sure. Um, But yeah, remarkable stuff. We did um, get a question about Yuki Tsunoda, and um, it, it said, should we be putting more respect on Yuki Tsunoda's name this season? Another strong result, despite not getting in the points, clearly he's out driving the Alpha Tauri right now whereas teammate Nick DeVries seems to be really struggling. Is Sonoda performing really well, or is the car just that, or is DeVries just that bad? I think it's probably a bit of both to a degree. I don't think DeVries is that bad. I just think he struggled with this car. I don't think it's the best car to drive at all. You could argue it's probably the eighth, ninth fastest car on the grid, but Sonoda is doing a phenomenal job. I mean, he's finished P11 four times this season, one of which in Australia he was promoted to P10 because of Sainz's penalty in that race. And he finished P10 in the other one in Baku. And I think it must be said, I think respect does need to be put on Yuki Sonoda's name. I think he's doing a great job right now. And I certainly hope those at Red Bull are taking notice because I think in all the adversity that we've often associated and attributed to Yuki Sonoda when he's overdone it or had crashes... This year, he's really driving very, very well. It's just a shame that his performances have only been rewarded by two points finishes at the moment. Well, yeah, at the beginning of the season, I put um, in the pre-season predictions video, I remember putting Yuki Tsunoda down as potential flop of the season. So he's definitely exceeded expectations there. Um, and yeah, like the, the car is definitely bogged down. Alpha Tauri seem to be a team that are only heading one way and that's backwards and I think they're making some changes at the team to hopefully stop the rot there so there are clearly issues going on with the general performance of the car but yeah he's he's doing well he's doing a good job of what he has and I, I, right now I just feel that he um he should make a move from one Alpha to another he should go to Alpha Romeo finishing 11th every race seems to be the um, Alpha Romeo way so I thought that would be the perfect marriage moving forward yeah, I mean, speaking of Alfa Romeo, I put Bottas down as the flop of the weekend. I, I don't really think I can get that because he qualified very well in the top eight. 
Um, he didn't have the worst race in the world. He finished P13, but I think I was expected, so I don't think I can claim on that one. Um, I mean, we had some good performances for Williams. McLaren had a dismal day as well. They Norris was hit early on. Piastri was having some issues, so you know, it didn't really they work. Put out the softs on as well, didn't they? They did. I don't get the logic behind that. I think McLaren no. were experimenting, but it was the same problem as Baku. So you know, everyone running to try and put the hards on. McLaren went the other way. It just worked terribly for Norris, unfortunately. So. Uh, yeah, not a good weekend for them, unfortunately, which will be a concern for McLaren because they look like they were making progress and now they've gone back down. I think we have to acknowledge as well, Alpine, a pretty decent weekend for yeah. them. Gasly, P8, I think Gasly, best of the rest, one of the stars of the weekend. Ocon managed to get it back into P9 when he was in that fight with Magnussen and Leclerc for a long time. So, uh, yeah, Alpine will be much happier this weekend, won't they, Courtney? Yeah, because, as I said, in, in Baku, they had a bit of a shocker. You know, one of the uh, rare reliability issues come from the Alpine and Alpine for a while now they've sort of been in the mire a little bit you know they've they have ambitions to be at the very front they'll still want more from the team moving forward but they had the whole Fernando Alonso leaving and the Oscar Piastri drama so I think they'll be happy I don't think it's happened over the past year or so they'll be happy where they are as a team and yeah I'm sure they'll be happy to get back into a better position. Also, at the same time, I expected there to be fireworks between Gasly and Ocon, and so far that hasn't happened. So the Alpine, the, the Alpine team, must be happy with that aspect as well. Yeah, absolutely. I thought Gasly was very, very good uh, in the race this weekend, and uh, Ocon did well to recover to P nine. Final thoughts. Let's talk about Mercedes because we haven't really mentioned them much. Russell P four, Hamilton P six. Two very good drives for very different reasons. Russell was very impressive. I think, all things considered, only seven seconds off Fernando Alonso, comfortably ahead of Carlos Sainz in the Ferrari. And a bit of an unsung hero this weekend, George Russell. Yeah, but if you have a look at this Mercedes, it's very unpredictable. It, it's, it has a very, a very, very small window, a very, very small sweet spot. And, and when they find it, these are the kind of results that they can get, again, or another team that would be hoping to go to the very front. But I thought this season it would be a write-off. But it's it's just frustrating because they've got two fantastic drivers and you want to be seeing drivers like that at the very front. I just hope they learn more and more about this car and more often than not, they get the car into the sweet spot, which I'm sure they will. Yeah, and of course, we have to mention Sir Lewis Hamilton. You know, started 13th. We can talk all day about the radio communication issues he was complaining about with his team, that they let him go out too late after the track conditions had improved and he missed that window and it caused him to not make it to Q3. I think we can all agree Mercedes is not the best car in qualifying. It's a much better no. race car. And he recovered to P6 very, very well. Ended up passing Charles Leclerc towards the end, was on a better strategy than Leclerc, probably drove better than Leclerc in the race as well. So... I don't think we can understate how good a drive that was from Hamilton. And and you have a championship position right now, Courtney, where Mercedes are a bit like Ferrari this season, where they're a bit up and down. They're great one weekend. They're not great another weekend. Baku was not their best weekend, but they still got some decent points. And you could argue this weekend wasn't their best weekend either. And at the championship position, they're six points behind Aston Martin, I think, in, P, in P4 in this championship. So... You know, when Mercedes do improve, and they will, their drivers are right there every week, regardless. And, you know, you've got Alonso, Aston Martin, and 
run, flying the flag on his own, despite how brilliant he's been. Ferrari, they're either there or they're nowhere at the moment. You'd have to argue if Mercedes keep up the level of consistency from their drivers, when they get the car sorted out, they're definitely almost a shoe in for P2 in this Constructors' Championship. And I'm sure they'd be very happy to take that. Um, but I'm, I'm just, I, I look at, for, I'm looking at these three teams though: Aston Martin, Ferrari, and Mercedes. And I'm thinking, come on, guys, or guys and girls, get your acts together and let's let's have a proper title battle. It ain't going to be next year, but the, the sport needs it. The sport, and, and, I, and I'm sure deep down, even Max Verstappen's getting bored at the front. He's probably thinking, give me a challenge, guys, come on. So we need at least one of these teams to really get their act together. So I want to be seeing, again, I want to I want to see at least one of these teams go on a real trajectory this season and, and put them in good position for 2024. Yeah, absolutely. As I said, I think a solace that I can give to Mercedes fans to round off this episode of a bit of positivity for them in this era of Red Bull dominance, which at the moment is uh, looks like it has no... Well, it doesn't seem like it's going to be stopping anytime soon. It is the fact that... The only shortcomings that we're that we're seeing as highlights for Mercedes this season are in qualifying or reliability issue. When it comes to the race on Sunday, George and Sir Lewis are driving really, really well and they're picking up big points consistently. And over the course of the championship, I know Mercedes don't want to be P2, they want to win. But right now, Aston Martin have one driver doing the business for them. Ferrari are either there one day or they're not the next. And it seems to be more, more the latter at the moment. Mercedes are always there and picking up results and that's what counts at the end of the day. That's why they're in the position they're in. So, you know, when they have a good car again, hopefully the drivers will continue to deliver on that as they have been with a dismal car by comparison. No, couldn't pull it any better, but it's that driver talent that will make the difference at the end of the season. Mm, As it often does. So a nice positive spin for final thoughts if Mm -hmm. you are a Mercedes fan. And uh, of course, Red Bull fans will be rejoicing and hoping this current era of dominance does not relinquish any time soon. And the way things are going, Courtney, I just can't see how that's going to happen, at least for the time being. But of course, guys, hope you enjoyed that. Make sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel if you are new. Help us get to 2,000 subs. That's our new target for this year. Uh, See how we get towards that. And of course, don't forget to leave us a five-star review on your favorite pod platform. If you haven't already, you will receive a shout-out on a future episode. I can guarantee that for your ongoing generous support. But until next time, guys, thanks for tuning in. Stay safe. We will be back with an Interlulz episode later this week as there's no race weekend in this huge period of the season where we're getting race after race. But we'll be back next week as well for the preview of the Imola Grand Prix. But until then, guys, stay safe as always. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. Remember, as always, if you're not first, you're probably DNF1. Take care. Podcast Network.